Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. In a world where people need 80s and 90s movie reviews, two regular Geordies combine forces to bring you the Brother to Brother 80s and 90s movie review podcast. Check them out on Twitter, YouTube, and all decent podcast vendors. Welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below average Star Wars. I am the Jody Jedi Pete. I'm Kat Rizioka. I'm Jason Hondo Ling. And we're back with a brand new episode of Star Wars to break down the latest Star Wars news. Starting off, we're going to talk about two projects that have came out on Disney Plus recently. Um, only Jason has watched the first one, so that is the new Lego special summer vacation jason without giving away too many spoilers um how did you find the the special and why should we watch it yeah well summer vacation is um follows on from the previous lego specials um pretty much what you'd expect from a lego special um very tongue-in-cheek lots of little easter eggs and lots of little comical pieces um, split into um, a trilogy of stories, um, spread across all of the different prequels, sequels, and the original. Um, so all in all, yeah, just quite a fun adventure. Obviously, it's also based on um, the Halcyon. So you've got the little bits showing you that ship that obviously everyone's now getting to see in real life so to speak um and yeah it's just a very good fun adventure um as i mentioned um before we came on air um i can't believe cat hasn't watched ben solo's special lego adventure um which is a fun little family thing um and it's quite nice to see the character of Ben Solo explored as a younger version that obviously we haven't seen in films or anything, but everything it's been alluded to. Um, so yeah, that was, um, I've, I did enjoy it. Um, as I mentioned to Pete earlier, the, the thing with the Lego adventures, they're fun to watch. I can't say I'd watch them over and over again. But I do enjoy them for a little bit of a time um, to sit down, enjoy a bit of tongue-in-cheek humour and look for all the little Star Wars Easter eggs. Um, and as as usual, um, the Emperor Palpatine is played for a fall um, and Darth Vader definitely comes out on top as usual there. Um, but yeah, no, a fun episode. I would recommend it um, if you enjoy, you know, the Lego Star Wars stuff. Obviously, um, it's all available, I think, now on Disney Plus, which is a real bonus because there are some fun little adventures there. And also, you know, um, I'd recommend if you haven't seen it, having a look at the Freemakers series as well, because that's very fun. And again, full of lots of little Easter eggs. Do they have the Padawan adventures on Disney Plus? Because uh, one of those has a young Han who manages to get in with some Padawans and Yoda. That one in particular is an absolute I riot. I don't think that is on there. And I, that's the one that I was trying to think that I can think of that is missing from the Disney Plus. Um, oh yeah, because that's where that's where you find out how Han was actually Ian. Yeah, 
Oh, it's oh, you literally couldn't make that just, one up. Three pews in the no. kitchen, chopping vegetables with a lightsaber. It's probably the most bonkers and the funniest one that Lego ever did. That is one I did, could definitely rewatch over and over. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you there. Uh, I used to have it on DVD, and I don't know what happened to it because it. If I remember rightly, it was given away as a freebie with something at one point. Um, but yeah, no, as I say, a lot of the Lego Star Wars stuff, if you want a good laugh and you love you you love your Star Wars, then you can't go wrong. And like you say, there's some real clever bits. Um, obviously, there's been a lot said about the summer vacation that um, they managed to bring in Weird Al Yakovic, um, who, if you're a fan of his songs that he's done, which I am, it was a real big thing to see him. Although, for my liking, um, I was a little bit underwhelmed with how they used him in summer vacation, um, whereas I, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of him, I think, and a bit more of his tongue-in-cheek style of singing about Star Wars. Was this the first special since the Halloween special Vera's Castle? Yes. Yeah, because there was the... Last year was the Halloween special, and was it... Or, there wasn't... The Christmas one was the year before, wasn't it, Cat? Yeah, so this is now the third one. Yeah. But, um, so I, yeah, I haven't I haven't watched some of vacation yet. Um, obviously, I did watch the Christmas special, and we did watch the Halloween special when I got around to it. So, I think I probably will check this out. Um, I think what I liked about the obviously I haven't seen this one, but generally I think you know it's something you can probably put on for kids who will really really enjoy it. Then it has yeah. those bits and jokes that tie into sort of canon and our knowledge of Star Wars as adult fans, and enough to keep us going as well watching it. If that makes sense. Definitely, yeah, and, and that's very much what it's aimed at, I think. Um, you know, it, it's a good way of introducing kids to the characters from Star Wars in a fun way, um, and also giving the adults those cheeky little nods to things that we've seen in the past. But I think even us adults need a good laugh at Star Wars sometimes. And that's definitely what the Lego ones provide. You don't have to take it sort of seriously. You know, if you put on a Star Wars film, you have to take it quite seriously. Whereas you can literally have one of the Lego specials on at any time, even in the background, and you will still laugh at them. So I think I think they really are for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And last question on the summer vacation Star Wars Lego special, Jason. Very important yeah. question. On a scale of Ben Solo dying as the lowest and the top end being Ben Solo topless in The Last Jedi, how is Kat going to find this Ben Solo story when she watches it? Well, it's... It's a young Ben Solo, so she's not going to get excited about this Ben Solo. Um, this is very much... Um, I get excited about every Ben Solo. But ben, this, this is Ben Solo about to be packed off to Uncle Luke. Um, that's that's the gist of it. Without giving too much away, it's um, Han and Leia, last bit of time with... Ben before he goes off to Uncle Luke and it is is comical but it is also I, I have to say the story that they did there each of the as I said there's three separate little stories so the first one is narrated by Obi-Wan second one is narrated by Anakin and then the third one is um, narrated by Leia all as force ghosts. Um, and the third story with um, Ben Solo is it's very much about parents, parenthood, saying goodbye. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to have to watch it because 
obviously cannot get enough Ben Solo content and cute Lego Ben Solo, considering we don't have a real minifigure of the character, is definitely something I need. And I, I, I have to say something as well, Kat, um, that you're probably not going to believe. I, I today actually sat down and watched the documentary about the watching the making of Rise of Skywalker, and um, I I've got a bit more time for Adam Driver, and I didn't think I'd admit it after all these years of taking the Mickey out of you. Adam Driver is like the best actor of his current generation. Thank you, Pete. I, I have, somebody's in my corner. I have to admit, um, the seeing his work ethic in that and seeing him in that, yeah, I, I, my my opinion had started to change. If you, like, I've not seen Adam Driver in a bad a bad role, he steals the movie, whatever movie he's in, I think. Yeah, I have to admit that. I've seen. I haven't seen a huge amount of films with him in, other than Star Wars. But the, oh, I I can't remember the one that I watched, which I would say wasn't the greatest film. But Adam Driver was by far the best in it, and he stole the scene from a lot of actors. I think he does a he does a lot of different roles, and he for me he steals the steals the yeah. movie, whatever role he's doing, whether it's comedy, a bit more serious, but like Black Klansman, um, Logan Lucky. Um, My mum liked Batman. Yeah, fantastic film. He was great in it. It's uh, great in Logan Lucky or Lucky Logan, whichever which one that that is. Um, I've seen him in The Dead Won't Die, which is a horror film, but it's like comedy horror, and that's like the lightest role I've ever seen him in. And he can play both sides of the coin so well, both the serious side and uh, the much lighter comedy side. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you there. Yeah, see, I'm, um, I'm trying to think of the comedy I've seen him in, and I, I would say it's almost a comedic role that he played. Well, he was fantastic in that um, the sort of the the relationship Netflix movie, that alongside um, that's the one I'm thinking of. I think where he was the he was the younger brother, wasn't he? That was sort of the black I, sheep of the family. No, this is more of like a, a relationship breaking down. It's quite serious, but ah, right. he, he brings humor to it as well as playing it seriously. But uh, again, a fantastic, fantastic role in that. Um, speaking of things on Disney Plus, obviously Lawrence Kasdan has directed a documentary on sort of the birth of industrial light and magic. Um, I've done the first two episodes, have not got a chance to watch the rest. I love the first two episodes, loved it so much. Um, the behind the scenes look reminded me of just how good Luke's film were behind the scenes content sort of in the early two thousands. Um Kat, I don't think you've watched it at all, is that right? No, I haven't watched it yet, but I do really love the premise of the series and bringing a light and celebrating the massive amount of work that goes in behind the scenes to bring these movies and series to light because you know it honestly takes a town to make a film and while the actors sort of get all the the credit and the the major stardom the people in the vfx the foley artists the riggers the set designers they are all just as important so i can't wait to actually watch it and see these geniuses behind the camera yeah it's Jason, obviously you've watched the whole series and um, without giving too many spoilers away, just what were your overall thoughts on the series and why should anybody listening watch it? Right. I've actually watched the entire series twice now. This is how good it is. Um, like yourself, um, in the 2000s, um, early 2000s, with the prequels and the, the, the release of all the DVDs of Star Wars, um, Lucasfilm did some brilliant documentaries and through that I met on screen a lot of characters like the likes of Dennis Muring, Phil Tippett, um, John Knoll, um, so many, so many different characters and, you know, people behind the scenes 
that n although John Knoll does appear on screen, um, a lot of them never appear on screen um, until you watch the documentaries. And when you look at the innovation and you realise how important Lucasfilm, not just to start or Industrial Light and Magic, um, IOM, sorry, not just important to Star Wars, but important to the entire film industry. You know, this one organisation has been the trendsetter for so much. Um, and also, it's nurtured so many different people. Um, but it's like, I didn't know until watching this that um, John Knoll was one of the co-creators of Photoshop. And it was like, this guy's a genius. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it To me, it finally... It shines a light a lot brighter to what we've seen before. You know, there's more in-depth looking at the different... It's more, not so much the effects that they created but the people and how they worked. Um, it's like, obviously, I knew about um, John Dykstra and obviously how he was there at the beginning, but this is very honest about the breakdown of his relationship with George Lucas. And George Lucas, in this documentary, you will see him at the most honest, I think, that you've seen him talking about how it's affected his life and everything um so all in all the series for me is just amazing and i i you know thoroughly enjoyed um finding out all about industrial light and magic um a lot of the stuff i'd already seen in previous documentaries but again i would say what sets this one apart is it really does bring you again by the end of it you feel like you know these guys um you know phil tippett has always been a hero of mine and i still learn more about him um so yeah i i as you can probably hear i can't rave about this series more um and it made me yearn that lucasfilm and disney um start now that it was sort of coming out of the covid situation i'd love to see them go back to doing the gallery style documentaries that they did for that first season of mandalorian and give us maybe a bit more insight into the people behind the story definitely i think one of my memories you know come back the early 2000s was you know watching sort of the, those documentaries on the on the DVDs and you know from there I got to see you know Doug Chang on his sort of first jobs yeah. working with ILM. You know what I mean as the concept artist and then obviously when I bumped into him in Celebration London in 2016, you know it was quite like oh I was like oh well that's actually Doug Chang this guy who you know I sort of almost knew his name and his face of watching these documentaries so many times but then never seen him ever and then actually seeing him in real life was like quite surreal. Obviously got to speak to him, lovely guy. But yet, without those documentaries, I probably wouldn't know who that was. And like, you know, watching those documentaries, people like him, like Trisha Bigor, the costume designer, like you do get to know these names. Um, that that make it magical. I think also, you know, back in the early two thousands, it wasn't just the, the documentaries they're putting out. I'm sure StarWars.com had like live webcam set up on set and stuff, and was showing you stuff like as it was happening. Loads of crazy behind the scenes stuff going on, which you know, obviously, understand now because of the secretive of the story, why maybe that doesn't happen, but. You know, you can go more than what they have done recently. Um, but yeah, I think just a highlight as well. I think with George, I think you've never seen there's this moments in this the first two episodes that I've seen where George gets, you know, you can see George is quite emotional. Um, yeah. talking about stuff where I think, I think George is always honest, but sometimes you don't see that emotion out of him because he's, he's usually being either to the point or he's being shown his comedy side. But you know, there's moments yeah. in the series where you, 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 you see sort of you see the emotion, and I think that's um really powerful coming from at one point i think at one point i think you actually see him tear up when he's talking about the whole process um which for me 
you know, like you say, George has always been honest, but he's normally to. I think Lawrence Kasdan's managed to bring something different out of him in this documentary. Um, and I, I think that is hats off to him because it's it's actually shown us more of how great George actually is because he is such a quiet sort of character, really. Yeah, you've you got to think, George doesn't like to make things about him. You know, he, he's probably one of the richest people on the planet and he's had some of the biggest insights into, like, pop culture, like, than anyone before him or anyone after him will. But, you know, but he lives a quiet life. You know, he gives his money to charity. He enjoys his life. You don't see him on Twitter. You don't see him on talk shows. You don't see him having his say. Do you know what I mean? He's very much, you know, like a, a quiet, retired artist, if that makes sense. You know, and he, you know he, he doesn't feel like he needs to have his say to be important. You know, he lives his life. He spends time with his kids, spends time with his wonderful wife. He likes watching his Formula 1 racing. But, you know, I was going to say, to he doesn't. Do you know what I mean? You, you you don't see him at the Formula One making it all about him and like tweeting about it and like no. look at me. You know he's very much you know he goes about his life quite quietly. You know, likes you know you you don't see him in a Louis Vuitton suit. You know what I mean? You'll wear his plaid shirt. You'll wear his jeans. You'll wear his yeah. Reebok or whatever. And you you know you'll see him with his Starbucks. Um, I, do, do you know what I mean? He's a very very normal person almost for someone who's yeah. had probably one of the biggest impacts in the world storytelling technology wise than anyone. As I said before, more after him. Um, Kat, are you excited to finally tune into this? Oh, absolutely! I'm I'm only more excited now to to watch it, having heard sort of all this uh, praise <coughs> of it. But I, I think you know Lawrence Kasdan was the right person to do it because he's got such insight into the people who are behind the camera because he's worked so much behind the camera and I think that's only helped the series be as good as it sounds and I definitely agree that the the more we see of the people working behind the scenes the more we appreciate them and the more I think we appreciate them what we watch because you understand that a one scene may have taken like 15 hours to create perhaps in VFX and that only leads to more appreciation to watching it because you pick out details that you didn't know previously. And that that's what I love about the behind the scenes. It only makes me appreciate the finished product more. Definitely. I think especially when you know when ILM starts, you know, it's the type of thing ILM does doesn't really exist at the time. So George hires these people, these like-minded creative souls come together to make the visual effects for the movie and it's now been done before and you see them sort of trial and error trying to figure out how they're going to do it and then you know actually revolutionize storytelling and cinema making in the process um so it's fantastic to see that side of the journey especially in the first two episodes that i watched um like i said hopefully i'll have some time end of the month to to catch up on the, on the rest um moving on from that um obviously cassie nando's around the corner, you know, it's coming the end of September. Um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is getting an IMAX re-release. Um, it's also going to include a sort of Andor first look. Um, it's USA only currently. It's getting released on August 26th. Um, me personally, it's a great idea to re-release Rogue One um, in the build-up to, to Andor. Gives people a chance to catch it in theatres one last time if they didn't see it the first time or if they've missed, you know, if they haven't seen it in a while. You know, why? No better place to watch it in a cinema. Um and, you know, getting an Andor first look. Again, another extra incentive to go. I just think, you know, great for the people in the USA who are going to enjoy it and enjoy it, guys. But I just think, you know, like, across the world should be showing it. Why, why can't we have that in the UK? Reminds me of times when you turn up the Disney store for Star Wars Day and there's nothing on because we just can't be bothered in the UK to market things. Um, so, yeah, so I'm a bit disappointed that we're not getting it in the in the UK or not that I'm aware of as it stands. But, you know, guard that. People in the US will be able to enjoy it on the Cinemax screen one more time, and I think it's a fantastic way to build build um, sort of build momentum going into Andor coming out. Um, Cat, what sort of your views on on it being re released and on the on the fact you're getting a first look at Andor and on the fact it's sort of exclusive to one market currently? 
I think us British Star Wars fans are so used to the Americans getting absolutely everything. We're, we're quite resigned at this point. I mean, look, you American fans, all our American listeners, you enjoy Rogue One on the big screen again. We will just use the biggest television screens we can find to, to enjoy it. I, I wish that they did market Star Wars more in the UK. I mean, so much of it is filmed over here, for goodness sake. So many of the actors are British. You'd think they'd be at least equal to the amount of marketing it would get in the USA, but it's not. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think celebrating Rogue One is fantastic because it's it's still one of the best Star Wars films ever made. I can rewatch Rogue One every time it gets me every time um and the first look at andor is obviously just an excuse then to to pay money for the ticket again uh i mean the from the trailers andor looks like it's going to be absolutely amazing and it looks like it's going to be just as cinematic as rogue one yeah definitely i think for me you know You've seen Star Wars, you know, they've, they've got a, a UK Star Wars Instagram account now, the Star Wars UK Twitter account's doing more I've seen in the past few months. So they are starting to wrap that stuff up, but I think, you know, if they'd put Rogue One in theatres at the end of the month, say for a week in the UK, I would say it at least three times. So I would have been a paying customer for three times. Even though I've got it on Disney Plus, I already paid for, I would have paid to see it in the cinema again three more times probably, um, at least, just because of, you don't get a chance to watch Star Wars in the cinema all the time. Um, so yeah, I just think they're missing a missing a situation, especially when August the UK cinemas haven't got much out where they're actually like reshown old Bond movies in cinemas at the minute, especially at Cineworld, and they've been reshown some of the Jordan Peele earlier work um, before Nope coming out. Um, so, do you know what I mean like why why not show Rogue One? I don't understand why they couldn't do that. Um, only thing I can think of is it's still available on like Sky Movies or something where they've licensed it out somewhere. But again, it's on Disney Plus in the UK, so like they're, they're in control of it, I think. Um Jason, what's your thoughts? Would you have went to see Rogue One? How to be back in the cinemas and sort of how how much does that how much how much does getting a chance to watch Star Wars in the theatre mean to you instead of just watching it on Disney Plus? I have to admit, Rogue One is one of the ones I don't think I actually saw it in the cinema. Um I'm pretty sure I didn't manage to get to go and see it for my sins. Um, so yeah, I would have definitely it, if they would have put it out in the cinema. I definitely want to go and see it um, because, like Cat says, it is one of the best Star Wars films out there. In fact, it's one of my favourite films. Um, it's I I always liked the old war films, so I think it gets that sort of effect as well um, for me, as well as being Star Wars. Um, and it's yeah, it's, uh, we do seem like you say the poor relative at times. Um, that's why I'm really glad that we're getting um, the chance with celebration coming up, where we'll get to show off how we like to celebrate Star Wars as well as you know everyone else um but yeah no it's something definitely i and like you say the thing is the trying to get trying cinema in the uk i think is still really struggling um and i think it's just you know for me locally um for anyone who doesn't know i'm in rural dorset south of england um the nearest cinema for me is 20, 20 miles away, I think. Maybe there might be one closer that's a smaller cinema. Um, but trying to get locally to see the cinema is pretty nightmarish around here. Um, so it's one of those things that I think in the UK, maybe we don't give it its due. Um, and maybe we should. Now you're reminding me of my cinema experience of Rogue One because I went to see it at 6am in the morning in December and they hadn't put the heating on and it was as cold as hoth 
in the cinema. I mean, you're like watching the film and you could see a breath pluming in the air, kind of cold. <laughs> that, that's nearly as bad as standing outside Leicester Square for as long as we did, Cat. Yeah, it, it, it almost is. Uh, and I, the only thing that was lucky is I had, I was actually cosplaying as an Imperial officer and I had a coat with me and I did not take the coat off the entire two hours I was watching Rogue One. I think I've seen Rogue One about maybe more than 10 times in cinemas, I think the first time around. Um, I've seen a midnight show on the first time um, and then, you know, watched it as many times as I could throughout the, you know, the couple of months it was in theatres. Um but yeah, I just think put that out, put it in cinemas, people will pay to watch it. You make a big bit of money and you'll uh, get the buzz going for Andor coming out. Um, and also, maybe on the with um, Spider Man No Way Home, they're bringing back that to the UK in September. So, yep, indeed. Yeah. So, there is nothing like Top Gun's coming back, to, Top Gun Mavericks coming back to cinemas end of the month with Top Gun in front of it as a double bill. So you know, other other companies are doing stuff, and you know, like there's room to be creative and and, and bring things back to cinemas, especially this at the current time where there's not a lot of new releases out. Um, so there's room in theaters for it. Um, you know, I went to watch a, a RoboCop 35th anniversary director's cut two weeks ago, um, in quite a big screen that was almost sold out. So, so do you know what I mean? Like these things can do well, um, and the British people do want it. Um, Speaking of not Rogue One but Andor, um, been some news that obviously showrunner Tony Gilroy's been talking about um, the sort of the awesome music being conducted by uh, Nicholas Bretel. Um, he says that the Andor theme will be sort of it's sort of one main theme that'll start at the end of sorry start at the beginning of every episode, but it'll be slightly different for each episode, um, which I think sounds really awesome um the fact we're gonna have a theme song a sort of a the main theme that's gonna be slightly different depending on what the tone of the episode is going to be um i think is again sort of very subtle but very awesome storytelling tool um and i'm excited when i finally get to watch the 12 episodes you know about sort of picking up where the differences are and how it does set the mood for the episode um cat what were your thoughts about that is it something you think it's just sort of wishy-washy not important or do you think maybe you know this actually could be really really fun to really put our ears to the screen when we're watching each episode i think it's a fantastic storytelling device and when i saw that it really intrigued me because it's not been done by um star wars before all the star wars movies have that same intro the previous star wars television episodes um, they all have that same starting theme. But to have one main theme to be changed slightly, it you're right, it's going to set tone, it's going to set mood. It'll be really interesting to see what the differences are going to be. And I'm sure there's going to be sort of fans uh, with you know, much more musical knowledge than I dissecting it um, probably on YouTube. And I think it definitely does make sense because... There are a couple of shows I can think of, um, most recently being Moon Knight, and that started with a different song every episode, which set up the episodes. That that song either had meaning to the episode or it had just a tone that was matched the episode. And it did make a difference. So I definitely think for Andor is going to be a big thing. And I do wonder if it's going to sort of change perhaps more to the Rogue One music as the um, series progresses and you get closer to that film. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, 12 episodes of this season and then season two is going to be 12 episodes and that's going to take us up to Rogue One. So, you know, whether we might subtly change in this season, but I think come season two, we're going to see definitely morph towards that Michael Giacchino score. Um Jason, what's your thoughts on you know having a using the theme as sort of a storytelling tool to set the tone for the episode and you know having all us Star Wars fans for, on our tiptoes with our ears out? Well, it's uh, it's something that when you think about it, um, I know we say like there's the familiar themes 
throughout Star Wars, that the magic of John Williams is that the each one for each film is interpreted slightly different. There's always slight changes, and that's part of Star Wars. The music is an important part. So to me, it makes perfect sense um, because obviously we we know very much that Andor is going to be a series that's got a clear path. We know where it, the end that it's heading to. The adventure is getting to that ending. And uh, I think it is, it's It's just, it's natural and it makes sense to me that the music would do that. Um, and let's face it, you know, the more with the scores that, you know, now that we're getting more and more different composers coming in and working on the score, obviously they've still got the style of John Williams and there's still a very much a Star Wars theme but then they've got freedom to move. Um, and the fact that it's a, it's a big part of the storytelling is something that, to me, is inherent of Star Wars. You know, Star Wars and its music go together. Definitely. I think you bang on there. And I think, you know, the Star Wars movies, you know, you have this sort of the, the opening music and the crawl, and then you have, you know, the camera pan down or pan up, wherever it's going. And then we have straight away like a new theme straight away. Obviously, you know, yeah. TV episode a lot less time in storytelling wise than a movie. So the fact you know the opening theme is going to just do that for us um, again, sort of make makes sense using the time that you've got per episode to your advantage as a storyteller. So very very exciting. Um, Fun fact for you there, actually, Pete, is the camera has only ever panned up once uh, in the main. Skywalker saga, and that's um, for, I yeah, Attack of the Clones. Is it pan down for the other ones? It pans down for all the others. Ooh, mm. fun fact, fun fact for the fact fans. Um, speaking of Andor and the twelve episodes we're getting, so they're going to start in September, the end of September, and it runs through sort of mid November. So we've almost got like two months worth of Andor split over three months. If that makes sense. Um, so it's like half a month, a month, and half a month. Um, so we've got a fun packed back end of the year um, of, of, of Andor. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. Um, are you sort of, how are you guys feeling about A, getting the three episodes at the very beginning, first day? And then also, like, as, as I said, you know, we've almost got two months worth of Andor episodes over, over three months. I'm actually really excited by the prospect of having three episodes straight away because it sounds to me like they all interconnect. Um, so it's going to be like one whole arc of story, much like they did with Kenobi. I think the way that they released Kenobi with the two episodes straight away made much so much more sense because they connected with such a cliffhanger that it really did need both to sort of provide that emotional impact. Um, so I think having those three episodes of Andor is just going to set everything up perfectly to then go week by week um, up until like the end of November. And yeah, having it like that, it's, I know perhaps it can be frustrating for some fans. Personally, I like having it week to week because it allows for speculation and it allows for excitement. You know that, I think it's Fridays it's coming out, isn't it? Um, you can just you have something to look forward to on a set day every week. And I appreciate that. Definitely. I've, I'll put a day's holiday in for the first day. Just with it being three episodes all at once, I'm like, I'll try and get the day off work for that, I think. Definitely. Jason, what's your thoughts on three episodes on the first day? And what's your thoughts on sort of September through November having new Star Wars every week? Yeah, it's... Um... It's nothing short of brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Um, I love Star Wars, so I, I always make the effort and I try and watch it as quickly as I can. And I normally watch two or three episodes. Uh, uh, you know, I've got into the habit as well. Like when a series is three episodes in, I'll quite often re-watch leading up to the next episode. So, yeah, um, so three episodes on the first day, 
brilliant. Um, and I think um, not. it's quite a busy time because I believe we're also going to be getting Bad Batch at about the same sort of time. Um, so it's going to be quite a heavy time for Star Wars, which I'm not going to complain about because um, I will always make time to sit and watch Star Wars. <laughs> Speaking of more Star Wars, our next story, um, Oscar Isaac was, you know, he's been talking about Moon Knight and things like that. Um, he was asked about Star Wars. He said he's open to return to Star Wars as Paul Dameron. He says for him it would be exciting to come back sort of to a, a good story that Kathy would bring to him, uh, sort of a good team involved, um, and he would definitely be interested. He talked a lot about time and sort of, you know, sort of time is ticking and people get old and sort of, I read in that as sort of meaning, you know, if it was to happen, probably to happen sooner rather than later, but that he, he would be excited by it and by having some good creatives in charge. And like I said, he mentioned Kathy by name, Kathy Kenny, that is the president, um, about bringing that project to him. Um, so I think, you know, I quite enjoyed it because it, it wasn't just him saying, I'm open to return, which, you know, you get all the time from everyone, but it was the fact that he, was, he talked about time and, you know, how people get old and it would have to work. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I think that's all that he's, you know, quite not protective, but, you know, he, he's careful about the projects he picks. And that, you know, it would have to be the right project at the right time type of thing for him and for the character. Um, so I was quite excited by that. And I would love to see Oscar return as Paul Dameron, whether it be we see him in a sort of a prequel to the sequel trilogy or whether we see him afterwards. Um, I think I think both could work as a, as a Disney Plus series or, you know, as a character in Disney Plus series or again as a, as a movie. Um, Jason, we'll go to you. What's your sort of thoughts on... on Oscar's comments and also what's your thoughts on getting Poe Dameron back? I I would love to see Poe Dameron come back and I'd, I'd love to see more of his adventures. Um, one of my... I, I do dip in and out of the comic books and one of my favourites is the Poe Dameron series um, which I absolutely loved. Um, I've always felt that he was a brilliant actor um, and because of the way that the films went, obviously, I, I feel all of those actors have the potential of carrying their own sort of adventures. You know, I could see, I could quite easily watch a series of films about John Boyega and Finn. I could easily, obviously, there's the obvious one of Daisy Ridley seeing what Ray does afterwards. Um, so... For me, it's a no-brainer. We're Star Wars fans. We're going to want that. Oscar Isaac himself, to me, is... Uh, the more I find out about him, the more I appreciate him as an actor. Um, I loved Moon Knight, and I thought that showed off his acting talents to a degree I'd never seen before. Um, and also, I loved him in the um, first June film that he was in. Um, so for me, I'd love to see more of him, and I find it quite. As I said earlier, I've been watching the Rise of Skywalker DVD, um, the commentary or documentary that they did. It was quite interesting seeing from him how he'd actually gone to J.J. Abrams and requested that he have a sequence a scene where he got to say goodbye to Leia and then there's that brilliant scene where he's sat by her body and then Lando comes in and it's like that was him helping create part of really seeing who the character of Poe was and how he was at a crossroads as a general in the resistance um so yeah I I think as an actor, he's got a lot of potential to bring a lot of really good stuff. Um, so if I was Kathy Kennedy, I'd probably be biting his arm off and getting him in a studio somewhere. Um, but at the moment, I should think he's going to be fairly busy with other stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know, as a guy, he's only going to get more and more popular, I think, as, as more and more people watch his work. You know, he's, he's working with Danny Villeneuve. In in June, um, you know he's in the MCU now. So yeah, we need to. If we're going to create a story for him, we need to tie him down. Um, 
Kat, obviously you're a big fan of the Star Wars comics and a big Star Wars reader. I, um, with Jason, you know, I loved that Poe Dameron. I think it was four volume, four volume arc. Um, that tells the story of sort of before the Force Awakens. Um, and a Black Squadron. Um, you know, you get a lot of his squadron in there. You also get a lot of uh, Laws Antecker in there, which is fantastic. Um, how open are you to having Oscar back as Poe Dameron? And would you rather have him in a TV series or a movie? 100% would love Oscar Isaac to come back as Poe Dameron because he is such a talented actor with a technical skill, both in front of and behind the camera. He's He treats his acting as an art and you can see it because he does pour so much into his, um, into his roles. I saw the uh, behind the scenes of Moon Knight and like the lengths he went to to get that character right just was blew my mind away and he really fought a lot for his character's Poe Dameron um he asked J.J. Abrams to bring the character back there was he was actually originally going to be killed off in The Force Awakens and he's kept up with those comics so those comics talking about um Podama Black Squadron, written by Charles Soule. He's read all of those comics. Um, I think I recently saw, like, I think it was it was either on Twitter or Instagram. Um, he put po- somebody posted um, that he'd read Star Wars number twenty five by Charles Soule, which has another Black Squadron, just a short story, and he'd read that as well. Um, so he understands the character so much um and i think he would be fantastic in either a film or television series but if i was to have a choice i would love him in a television series with black squadron just put on an x-wing that's because oscar isaac would make it interesting yeah it certainly would it certainly would that brings us sort of into the latest news topics. And now I'm going to talk about something that I didn't tell you guys about. It's a nice little surprise for you. Uh-oh. Hasbro issues. So I've sort of documented some of my issues with Hasbro and some of the way that I had them, the sort of the, the Star Wars figures. I'm just going to sort of run through them. So I think, you know, as a collector, I know we talk a lot about collecting. We've talked about the Rancor, about the Revas Lightsaber. Just generally the Black Series line, the Vintage Collection line. Um, so I think let's talk about pre-ordering first. I think like random release dates, which you know, I don't think they could go sort of any more poorly. Um, especially when you consider the state of the economy, uh, the raising living costs worldwide, not just here in the UK. Um, I don't know how they can constantly tell people that something's arriving in twenty twenty three and then deliver it a few weeks later in March or April. Um, so that was like, nah, like earlier in the year, stuff was arriving, you know, earlier on when the set was coming next year. And then you're getting hit with the charge for it. Um, you know, something's like six months early. Um, and they expect us to carry on pre-ordering when they have no clue really when we're going to need the money to pay for the figures. Um, you know, we're all feeling the squeeze at the minute. Um, you know, we can't expect collectors to, to, to budget for a figure that's, due out next year when it's going to arrive tomorrow um out of the blue you know you're just going to get sent a shipment update or a fact or a payment thing at all we took the payment or or that the payment's been declined um i think that's something that they need to get get taps on and then the stuff that arrives like years late as well um is it, i've been worried about moving house and pre-orders outstanding from a year ago uh which you know they've all come over the last month or so but but you know that was quite you know worried about it um the pricing especially in the uk the complete randomness of it um you know i think you know if you take a if you take a vintage collection figure so in the states the 1399 um so you know at, at an exchange rate that'll be 11 pound 20 you know if you add the sales tax it'll be 13 pounds 43 um they actually go for 17 pounds you know 16 pounds 99 here in the uk so you, you know they've added three quid on there like just just for no reason just to make money just flat out profit for for, for for no reason. Three 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 pounds at USA on pain. Um you know, 
it's it's just just crazy. I think if you look at the they've just released Boba Fett's Save One again, just to give it a repaint to match the Mandalorian. Um and like released it for like two hundred and fifty pounds, like and they've since changed it went back on the price to say, Oh, we got it wrong, but that's been happened a few times where they put something out there with a high price and then like wait to see what the reaction is, then say, Oh, we've got it wrong and change it as if like they're testing how far we'll go. And I just think, no, like make your product and make your profit on it, but like make it a fair profit. You know, some of the Black Series figures now, some of them are twenty two ninety nine, some of them are thirty three ninety nine, some of them are thirty six ninety nine. Like the, the, the pricing is just crazy. Um, and when you think about it, they're going to be removing the plastic bubbles from Black Series from going on. Um, I, I just think, you know, if you save on the package and then pass that save on to the customer. Um, so yeah, just a f- few thoughts there, just on on that. Um, I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on, on that. Oh, I can rant about toy companies all day, quite happily. I, I think I'd also add to that, that with the HasLab, it's the fact that the reason the ideas are failing is because, well, they're not great ideas. Sorry. I mean, the Rankle was a nice idea, but it was the wrong price. And it wasn't. it didn't come with the right accessories until, like, way into its campaign it should have been stated straight away what the accessories were going to be you know reaver's lightsaber was used in one television series nobody's really going to want that um and then i think i used to be such a big black series collector because they came out with the films they came out ready and now you're sort of having to pre-order um figures for perhaps you know six months to a year in advance and that's just really frustrating because you want figures to be going straight away with whatever you're watching you're not wanting to wait that long and i and i also think that hasbro just re-release way too much i mean the vintage line is basically just re-releases of uh, the black series and then the black series is just featuring so many of the same characters just with repaints like Boba Fett and um, Luke Skywalker when there were just so many characters they could choose from and I definitely think that the pricing has gotten to a point where collectors are really having to pick and choose the characters they get because they just keep going up and I wouldn't necessarily say the quality is going up with them. Don't get me wrong, the um, the facial sculpting and facial printing have definitely improved. But it's not like they're using lots of fabric elements. The boxes now are changing to completely cardboard. So I think Hasbro should definitely take a relook at their marketing strategies of not only what they're releasing but how they're releasing it to customers. Definitely. I mean, that, that new G.I. Joe Haslab, you know, sold out, you know, hit its goal within a day because it was a product that G.I. Joe fans want um, and it was a high high price product. Um, do you know what I mean? So if you do the Haslab correct, Star Wars fans will buy it, but they're missing the they're missing the ballpark by so much. And they've got so many other issues going on that, that People are disillusioned. I was the same. I was clicking every black series, you know, in the in the original red boxes, probably sort of twenty three onwards. I'm only missing some, and I'll look to fill them. But then in, in these new boxes, I'm just I'm just picking up the ones I, I like. And then with these new ones being sort of no plastic, it, it'd be even less so. It'll be ones that I want to unbox now because by putting the black series in a box that you can no longer see the figure, you are killing off the inbox collector. Um, so so yeah, it's it's, it's not not awesome. Right now, but there's some quick wins in there, and some some things they can do to, to change that. And there's time to change it for the better, and change it, and then take all our money because we'll happily pay for good products. Um, moving on from that, uh, last thing before we go into sort of the end of the show, um, obviously the biggest Lego store in the world is now in London, in Leicester Square, recently opened. Um, I think there's a good piece on JediNews.com where um, Steve from Jedi News. Uh, went to to the store. Um, Jason, have you heard much about how good the store is, and are you excited to check it out at some point in the future? 
I I haven't been able to catch up with Steve yet to find out how excited he was, but I could imagine it was quite literally big kid in a toy shop situation. Um, but by all accounts, um, I've read his article, um, and I've looked at obviously the photographs. And I actually, um, the Sun newspaper managed to get out an article before Jedi News, um, where they'd sent a lovely young lady who did a really, really glowing write up for it, which made me think, I wish I was going with Steve. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun stuff. Obviously, the biggest Lego store at the moment in the world. Um, they've um, revamped it quite a lot. It, it's more of, a, from what I can see, it's more of a, um experience now rather than just going into a shop. Um, you've got several, you've got a few displays there. They've got the Bond, a uh, large replica of the Bond car that you can have your photo taken in. I think there's a London bus there that you can have your photo taken with. Um, there's a section where you can go build a model and take that away, which I believe is free of charge. So during the summer, if you're in London and want somewhere to take the kids, um, perfect place to go. Um, and also, um, yeah, the one thing that I'm quite excited by, um, and I want to find out a bit more and maybe speak to Steve to find out if it's as good as it looked from what I read, um, is you can now get your own personalised 3D printed Lego minifigure. Um, and I think I saw that they retail at about £10, which I thought was quite reasonable, depending on, obviously, how much of a personalised sort of figure it is. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it sounds like they're going big time um, <coughs> for, obviously, expansion. And I know um, they're looking at... Um, I think there's quite a few of the stores that are being shut for a while and are getting a bit of a makeover at the moment. Um, so it seems that Lego are really pushing out to um, obviously expand the brand. Um, although I do believe we've got some dreaded price increases coming up soon. Okay, so I know a little bit about this and this change in the stores. Um, the Lego Group are pushing what they're calling their retail entertainment or retailment strategy, which is that going to a Lego store is becoming more of an experience rather than just shopping. And there's more sort of interaction within the stores, not only with the staff, but with um, Lego models and things to do within the store. So the customized minifigure is um, build your own minifigure and you can have um, printing done on the torso of the minifigure only and then you can pick from um, head prints and hair pieces already in production that look similar to yours um, I think you can more or less have whatever you want printed on the torso except for like I think logos um, and then they're also uh, increasing the pick-a-brick walls in most of the stores to be a bigger selection and um, like Jason said in the Leicester Square store they've got the DB5 and other models that you can have uh, photos taken with. The Dublin store which is opening soon um, it's gonna be the first Lego store so in Ireland that's also gonna have the minifigure factory and I think that's then going to spread out to Europe and in America, the minifigure factory is available online. I'm not sure if it's available within every state, but you can certainly have um, your minifigure printed online and then delivered to you. And as for the price increases, that is coming. So that would be September 1st for most regions. And you're looking at about 180 sets being increased anywhere between 10 to 30 percent so if you've got vip points or you can see something on sale i do recommend getting it now before it does go up in price do you think that'll price them out of some people's markets and maybe we're going to see them lose money i don't think you'll ever see the lego group lose money because they make on average um about 
12 billion kroner profit every year. So they're not running out of money anytime soon. No, apparently they can't take, they can't absorb the cost, the rising cost of producing plastic and uh, running their factories anymore. And they pass, they're having to pass it on to the consumer. However, like I just mentioned, those big profits don't really tally. It, you, it, they're not actually stating sort of where their profits are going. And, but the price increases are definitely going to put some sets out of people's sort of price zones because particularly for the bigger Lego models that are £200 or, you know, $250 plus, well, they could go now to having another 50 to 70 pounds, which is a roughly a um, 65 to $90 added onto them. And that is a huge increase. It certainly is. Another thing I think Hasbro doing the same with them, um, sort of, you know, Hasbro, you can now get your face put on a Star Wars figure using face scan technology or whatever, you know, and I'm just like, we don't want, I don't want me as a Star Wars figure. I just want like Ula or I want, Jedi Ray with the yellow lightsaber, or I want Ben Solo with the blue lightsaber and the jumper. Like, give me figures, new ones that I want. Like, don't don't make a gimmick where I can put my face on a figure because I don't want that. I just want figures that aren't available yet, like ones that you should have made in the, already. I think that's similar with those Lego mini figures where they sort of jump with the battle where you can make yourself. And as a Lego, it's maybe a bit fun because Lego do give us a lot of different mini figures. That's cool. But I think from a Hasbro point of view, it's like, nah, I don't, don't want to make me as a figure. Like. Maybe if I had everyone in the collection, then I would do that. But no, like, give us Ula first, you know. Give us give us a Jedi Ray and a Jedi Ben Solo twin pack, you know. Like, give us these these figures and we'll happily buy them. <laughs> or in my case, I would buy three. Yeah. <laughs> one to display in the box, one to open, and one to let collect and uh, in value. Indeed. Um, moving on from that, has anybody got any other Star Wars related news they want to talk about before we wrap up the show? No, only isn't this episode 99? It is indeed. Ah, we're hitting the century. Or you're hitting the century, I should say, Pete. Very, very close to 100 Star Wars episodes, which is quite cool. Have we got Can't anything special story? planned? No, nothing special planned. I think just have fun and talk Star Wars. Go. Cat, anything, any stories you want to, that we've missed out that you want to talk about? Um, There's nothing that I've seen that's particularly newsy. So I think we definitely covered all the big topics uh, in Star Wars world at the moment. Okay, so we'll finish with the Star Wars Fantasy Football League. So if you have a Premier League, um, a Fantasy Football Premier League team on the uh, official Fantasy Football app, you can join our league. So if you're listening and you have a team, um, you can join our league. The league code is 51X1DD. So that is 51X1DD. Um, so if you've already got a team and you're playing in some leagues there, you can join our league and it'll just put you in there with all your points. Um, if you don't have a team yet and you want to set one up, just download the official um, Premier League app. Um, you can access official fantasy football through that. You can then make a team and join the league. You would have missed the first two weeks, uh, so you'd be behind a bit, but it's all fun, so definitely worth doing. Um, just to run through where we are at the minute, so... The league is called the Star Wars League of Champions. The top three teams currently are Aston Villa, Pedo Mags, and Anakin's Skywalkers. Um, I am Anakin Skywalker, so I'm currently third in the league. Um, other notable people in the league is obviously um, Canon Junkie XL Ian. He's seventh with K's Kings. Um, and... Guest host has been a couple of episodes, Katie Adams, Rogue Squadron FC. She's currently bottom, but she didn't play the first week, so it's a bit unfair to judge her on that. But yeah, come and join the league. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, maybe the winner of the league might get like a prize pack or for together some starboard stickers, maybe some badges. Um, but no, definitely worth getting involved in. Um, 
Jason, that's Take It Home. Where can the people find you on social media? Uh, that's a good one. It's at Hondo Ling or at Jason Ling Photography. Cat, where can the lovely people find you on social media? You can find me at Cat Kylo on Twitter, where I'm always happy to talk Star Wars and anything Kylo Ren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Boars Star. And you can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Star Boars Podcast. If you're listening on Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, um, please leave us a top review. Helps people find us, um, moves us up the table a bit, also helps us in booking guests. Um, and if you can leave a nice little sentence about why you love the show again, just a moment of your time would bring smiles to all our faces. Um, if you listen to another podcast app that also has a, a rating system, again, please consider just taking a moment of your time, leaving us just a top review, a top comment. Um, again, makes us all smile, spreads the positiveness going around, helps other people find us and helps us get guests on. Um, but yeah, Jason, Kat, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Been a blast. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Hello, Star Wars listeners. This is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of the Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, which is a Star Wars-inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Zolan Dart today. Shout! We've got your pigs. Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now? I didn't do anything. I just freaked out for no reason. It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less... Temperamental. <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun. Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs? Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big. Dynamic class. My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. Uh, any chance you have a hover cart we can use to load up? I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector. My name is Sereth Khan. I am the chief here on Kamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages as of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone. I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with. Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Paktu to expect you in the next cycle or so. You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, perhaps, though once I received confirmation that you were interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope. Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can. That's not good. Is that blaster fire I hear? Ah, so you're the one. Cabin, it sounds like they want to do this the hard way. <laughs> I love when they got some fight in them. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company. I'll see you soon. <laughs>